Yo, welcome to a, uh, wow, we're really, this is an interesting episode. The way that we're recording this is not our normal. I'm Javier, I'm in Tucson, Arizona right now on my phone while Greg is home in Philly and Jason is home in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, we just don't really record like this remotely, you know, and, but hey, we got to do what we got to do. And Jason has no shirts behind him. It's weird. I know. It's really strange. It is. But we're we're trying to to power through the rest of the year and uh, we're trying to really stay on course. And so we had, we we had to do it. I had to jump on. Jason, tell the people what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're talking about the Sensefield LP building. What rev number is that? That's 046. 046. I have been waiting for this one, man. I know you have. Jeez, you won't as, stop talking about it. I know. As we, as, <laughs> I know and, and as you'll hear in the, uh, in the interview, too. But, you know, it, there's certain ones, like, that are super special. Um, and this, this record, for sure, is special to me in that it's more than just being like, oh, this is a kick-ass album. Like, it has a lot of uh, sentimental value and meaning. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I think in the case, which we touched on in the, in the interview where you have someone like a John Bunch who, you know, unfortunately is no longer with us. It sort of brings a whole new, like, um, uh, you know, a whole new layer, I guess, to the, to the record and stuff. And, sure. and um, you know, let's so get, I, I was, we'll dive, we'll dive in yeah. deeper to that after the interview. But first, even before we get to the interview, I think it's time that we. Uh, do you guys got anything to give you a bit of first to today? You go Me? first. Oh my yeah. God. So listen, I'm in this band. I don't know if you've heard. I'm in this band called Godhead. And we played our first show at Program Skate and Sound in Fullerton, California, which is a nice little venue. It's a skate shop, holds like eh, 75 people in there is packed. Right. So we played a Sunday night with a bunch of new bands, new, newer hardcore bands, like bands that only have a demo out, you know, nobody, nobody really established except for Headcount from San Diego, who it was doing like a mid, little mini tour to kind of pre, um, promote their new EP, LP, I don't know, their new record. So the bands were uh, Major Pain, Firestarter. Great movie, Damon Wayans. Yeah, Firestarter, another movie. Take It to Heart, Godhead and head count. First band, Major Pain. Uh, dude in that band is the guy who I mentioned a few episodes ago who recognized me and came up and showed me his Gorilla Biscuits tattoo. That's Cooper. Nice. Yeah, so that was like cool to be able to play with him and his band. Then this band Firestarter gets up. Didn't really know anything about them. And the dude's wearing a long sleeve war zone shirt with a with a button up like Dickie's work shirt over it. And I'm like, yeah, this is like a that's a wild style. I'm into it. And then I hear him say something about, you know, it's kind of muffled because people, it, it's like on, on a PA. And I'm like, yo, did this dude just shout out where it went podcast on the mic and talk about how it was like so important because it's telling all these stories and stuff. And I was like, I, 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 I want to say yes, but also like, I'm going to have to do some further 
investigatory journalism about this subject. So let's just say yes. Yeah, he did. After our set, you know, I'm standing by the merch ta- table and this kid named Jacob comes up, buys a shirt, and he's like, yo, your podcast's sick, man. I love the stories. I love listening to the story about Shana's strength. I love the story about Inside Out. Like he knew all the fucking episodes. And he's like, I'm in the, I'm in the band Firestarter. I'm like, yo, did your singer shout us out? And he's like, yeah, man. And I was like, wait, get him over here right now. So I brought him over. Dude's name is Gustavo. We talked about the podcast. Big fan. So it just blew my fucking mind that at a hardcore show, our podcast got a shout out in between songs. Like how wild is that? That not our, not our band, not our record, not our record label, this podcast that we do where we're talking about these legendary records made enough of an impact on someone to where they took time out of their fucking 15 minute hardcore band set to give us a bit of both. I think that is unreal. And yeah. so just wanted to give a huge bit of bow to Firestarter. Um, you can check them out on Instagram and take it to heart. Super sick headcount. Like it, it was really cool also to be at this show where kids are moshing, kids are going off, kids are into it, <clears throat> but it wasn't violent. And, you know, a lot of times on, on hardcore videos, you see maybe some violence. You see like kids getting a little too crazy lately. And I just, I didn't need that on a Sunday night when my band was playing. So, <coughs> excuse me, I really appreciate that we're in this like, you know, positive room of kids who are super stoked on being there and kids who wanted to talk to me about our podcast. So. That, that was it. Awesome. That, that, it was yeah. awesome. Well, on that same tip, let me continue giving thanks because Axe to Grind included where it went on their Thanksgiving buffet episode, which w- compiled a bunch of clips from different podcasts that they liked. And so that was cool because since I started listening to podcasts, Axe to Grind is one of the podcasts that I latched on to and check out every oh, week. Yeah, so that was super cool. Benchmark. Yeah. Or whatever you call it. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate that. Since this is the Sensefield episode, uh, check out Rodney's art on Etsy. If you want to pick up something, it's Sellers Arts, S E L L A R S. But it's cool. It's got that Whirlpool style that you're all familiar with, but you can download it as PDFs if you want to check that out. Bit of both. Um, yeah. And I guess I wanted to give a shout out to um, one of my dear friends uh, opened a restaurant here in Philly. Um, My friend, Mark McKinney, I played with him in easy creatures. He was in the band railhead, you know, it was on J tree records and he opened up a fantastic plant-based vegan, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Cause I know some people get mad at plant-based. Some people get mad at vegan, whatever Um, primary plant-based and it was absolutely outstanding. I went there with our friend of the pod, Balaram Shakti. He was, um, he was in town. And um, so check out, if you're in Philly, primaryplantbase.com. There's always like hardcore shows around like Kung Fu Necktie, which is where the show 
uh, we were at was with you know Zulu and um, Soul Glow, so, uh, Johnny Brent. There's a bunch of venues around, so if you're in town for a show, you definitely got to hit this place up. Um, it's no like fake meat. It's all just like locally, you know, the produce is locally sourced, um, but it is like dynamite. So check them out, primaryplantbase.com. And because it's Sense Field, I was thinking about it was, uh, as we're recording this, it was four years ago this month that Mark's uh, cousin, um, who I ended up becoming friendly with, Nick Nick Rotundo, he had passed away um, in November of 2017. And uh, he was just a really cool guy. He recorded a lot of bands. like He recorded, I think, Shark Attack, I Hate You, None More Black, Boy Sets Fire. He was a huge Sensefield fan and absolutely loved the building record. So, uh, you know, thinking of him and thinking of Mark and um, that's all I got. Cool. You know, it's interesting. This is just a little bit of a sidestep. And now that you mentioned a, a plant-based restaurant that focuses on plants, you know, who would have thought I follow Scott Weingard on Instagram who played in Texas is a reason and is a seems to be a very accomplished chef and the stuff that he makes out of vegetables looks unreal. And so it's cool that people in hardcore and especially in the sphere of things that we're talking about on this podcast to, to see them doing stuff with plants and not just with fake meat, like, Hey, fake meat's cool, whatever. Like I'll have a beyond burger or some, you know, fucking soy riso, but like, just eat real food, man. Plants are cool. Yeah, this, this was cool too because, like, I'm looking and you know, you you read this stuff and you're like, how does that work? Like, how will that work? But like, everything we had was just like so good. Like Balaram and I were just like, oh man. And um, you know, we were talking too that the same way that someone may write songs, like get ideas and write a song. That's how like a chef's brain works. Like, you know, Mark was telling us about how he looks at a list of, you know, the local produce that he has access to. And then the gears start turning and you're basically like starting to write a song. You're looking at the ingredients, you're seeing well, what can I make that's going to be good. And I think it's really cool. I, I admire that kind of talent because I can't write songs and I can't cook. So anyway, All right. holding, shall we? Should we kick it? Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it, kick it. beverage there you want to kick it what are you drinking coke zero cherry zero yeah cherries love all those chemicals dang i got a pepsi from a couple like yesterday i think i don't know (laughs) nice and flat anyway oh yeah we we are here today to talk about one of the most important records to me on revelation for sure and i know to a lot of people um sensefield building uh, their second full length, third release on Rev. Um, 
you know, when we when we started the, the podcast, this was definitely one that I was looking forward to a ton. And when I asked, you know, on socials, what people were looking forward to, it was like Sensefield was overwhelmingly like one of the most, uh, you know, requested that people are, are excited for. So we're here today with um, Rodney, Chris, John, and we also have Jordan. Um, so thank you guys for taking time and speaking with us today. No problem. Building. So I guess to, to lead up, you know, we, we talked about Killed for Less comes out in 94. Um, you guys do a lot of touring. When, uh, I guess, what was the writing process like for this record? Because I know that Rodney had said before that he wasn't as involved with the writing. I'm assuming too, you were doing the Whirlpool stuff, Rodney, like uh, yeah, concurrently at the same time. But like yeah. what, so you, you get off tour. I mean, were you writing any of this stuff while on tour? Well, when I look or was back it like on once it, you got home? When I look back on it, it, we wrote it more in the old Sensefield way that was kind of better where, you know, I would come up with a guitar line for my songs. And then John would just do his own thing over it. And I got into songwriting and singing and, you know, it was, it was cool for me and whatever, but for Sensefield, it seemed like the, the real best Sensefield was kind of when, you know, I just gave in my music parts and then everybody, you know, did everything else. So for me that it was closer to the organic sort of writing from the early days of the band, I guess. I don't know. What does anyone else think of that? Yeah, this, I don't know. This one seems like a bit of more of a hodgepodge. Like once we had done Killed for Less, I felt, I think we felt like those were our best songs. And when it came around time to do this record, we had a handful of new songs and then we had some old songs from either the very beginning of Sensefield or like the kind of transitional phase from Reason to Believe to Sensefield, we had some like odds and ends that just never got recorded. We threw those in the mix. Yeah, so it was it was it seems like a little bit of a little bit of everything. And plus, like I said on some of the other podcasts, we had we had toured by this point as Sensefield, and so things got a little I don't know, a little um, less I don't know artsy and a little bit more kind of straightforward on this record. There's still yeah, a lot. Like there's a lot of Rodney on this one, though. When I look at it, definitely. Just, like the when we weren't exactly sure what we were doing, songwriting, I think, was sometimes our best stuff. When for me, when I kind of got too much of an idea of what I wanted everybody to do, you know, it just seemed like it wasn't as inspired. But that, you know, I don't know. Back in the day, I would have probably said the opposite, though, because I wanted to sing, you know, that was my main thing at the time. But it so just, did, it wasn't overthought, I think, was what's nice about the building record, you know? It's it's wild for me to hear Chris say it's a hodgepodge, because to me, it just is this complete album where I, can, I can't skip around tracks. I got to start with the first song and play it all the way through. Were the songs that were holdouts from, like, maybe the Reason to Believe Day, were they, 
reason to believe days were they like the faster ones like i'm thinking of like the title track um out no. of the man or no not really well I'll, the ones that i remember from the earliest days everyone i see was like a really early rodney song when we were kind of in that between phase um sight unseen the last track was the one that i had that was could yeah. have been a reason to believe song but i just when i think of those songs I, those that make me think of the attic that my at my parents old house <laughs> there, there was this moment where we were like recording and practicing up in the attic at my parents house and doing like four track stuff and those songs that is those were like four track songs from the attic period which was like this weird in-between phase and then i think i i feel like fiesta was that wasn't that an early one? Oh yeah wrong? that was a that was a super old song and like we sort of forgot to change the title like because it was just sort of a working name. <laughs> One day, John was like, I can't believe it's Fiesta on the album. We never fixed it. <laughs> yeah, because it because it has like the, the like kind of three, four. That was inspired by uh, that was inspired by Cradle to the Grave by the subhumans for anyone who's. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't pick that out. That the one part where they do the stop or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. See, that's what I wanted to know is like, what stuff, you know, you, before we started recording, John, you talked about how there was a lot, just so many influences. Well, in my the, earliest for, influences, it was like Pink Floyd and the Subhumans and like anybody that would do like a 25 minute song or, you know, I love just epic songs that have a ton of different guitar parts and riffs and uh, New Foundation, the first one of those early reason songs was like my little attempt at a little tiny, you know, epic, with like the three parts or whatever. And yeah, that, was, that was that was inspired by a Pink Floyd song, actually. That was your specialty, the the epic. Yeah, like, I just the idea of the epic, like Prague, kind of like I loved, you know, and weird time changes and all that, you know. There was a. Know, I think Ronnie was early on the math rock same ahead <laughs> of the seven, seven eight yeah I, I got super into the pixies later and that was cool but i kind of looking back i like that era like where it was just a little bit of the pixies influence with all the math rock and when i got super obsessed with the pixies it just seemed kind of like i was just doing the pixies sort of you know like <laughs> <laughs> i liked it better you know when that it was more the like you were just sort of trying to look for an ultimate song. It wasn't really like trying to sound like anybody. You just wanted to come up with a really cool part on your guitar, basically. Uh, how about you, John? What, what were like some of the like touchstones for you musically that were especially going into this record? Well, for this record, I, I think like probably what, what made the record so cohesive for like, it was really like a, Chris said, just a mix of all these weird tracks was the the energy we had kind of built as being a live band and playing those touring dates uh and just playing over and over every night there was like there was this kind of uh energy to the album that 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 kind of killed for less didn't really have everything was driving a little bit harder and i think chris kind of touched on this and i think um you know we all had a background in in, in punk and hardcore so uh, it it was sort of in our DNA always that it was going to be in the you know in the music. So I think we just indulged ourselves a little bit with it when we got back, 
And we still had this that kind of energy of the road and of being like playing live and that kind of uh, interaction, interactive energy. And it seemed like it really you can feel it on that record. It has it has a kind of more driving feel to it than than most of our other stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say this. I mean, it opens right out the gate with just a lot of like a high intensity track. You know, like it doesn't waste any time. Yeah, off. Overstand like just the end of that song, the outro. Sometimes I listen to it and it's like, what is even going on in there? Like the drums, it's wonderful, it's amazing, but it's like, what kind of music even is that? Like the drum beats all off, kind of weird, and then the guitars are playing like four different parts, I think. And like you don't listen to it closely too much sometimes when you're in the band and then you step back and you're like, wow, that I mean. It's pretty, some of the moments on that album are pretty interesting, like musically for me. Yeah, the drumming on this record, I was just saying to Jason Javier earlier, the drumming is fantastic. Like it just, um, you know, so yeah. awesome. It, Everybody's it just, just playing great. Yeah, um, it's just so, so tight and fast and complicated and smooth. Like he really, it, Scott was kind of at his height then too, I think. I think you're right, though. Like when I look at the song, I'm just looking at the track list. We we didn't really have any of the high, like overly ambitious epics on this. It was like we definitely didn't overthink these things. We kind of just allowed them to kind of be. We, they're a little more humble, and they're I don't know, you know, a little more straightforward. And we did <clears throat> the band definitely. It seemed like. Everybody did their thing, kind of maybe even more so than some of the older stuff. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't like neither Rodney or I were trying to like, you know, make it just so in, in, in our vision, if whatever songs we had, it was just kind of, here's the basic song, everybody just kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah, and it was, it was all sort of like before, at one point it seemed like we thought layers and tons of stuff was going to make things sound better but that one just seems more like condensed interesting parts where everything was sort of cool and there didn't need to be a ton of you know layers and all that yeah you give sensefield a minute we will overdo everything i mean that was like our thing like we will add like 20 layers where two might do just because there's just a an abundance of ideas at any given time like you know so yeah there's so many ways you could go with everything, but sometimes for some people, it's better when you have less resources. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because this one too, the difference here, like uh, the Color for Less was done 24 track. This, we went back to 16 track. We went back to record it with the guy who had recorded the Reason to Believe album and, and the two and the first uh, Sensefield demo thing, that blue CD. Um, we went back to his studio and I, I don't even think that this was intended to be a record when we first started. Weren't we just recording some songs just to screw around? Yeah. At one point it seemed like there was equipment propped up on a box, you know, <laughs> that had like, I came in and, and it looked, it seemed a little rigged compared to the, you know, the whole killed for that setup or whatever. Like, yeah, it was like, we were kind of just having fun, I guess, or I don't know. I think we just had a batch of songs and I think we, talk Jordan into giving us some money to go record them without yeah. any like 
any idea that this was, and I think we recorded this in a couple batches, didn't we? We didn't do all these songs at once. I think we went back, like this yeah. is maybe a couple different, totally different recording like things yeah. put together. Oh, wow. I'm glad you so brought I up Jordan about that. Um, Jordan, we had a question for you. When you brought Sensefield into Revelation, was there any plan of like, I'm going to put X amount of records out by this band? Or was it just like, oh, hey, we're working on some new stuff. You want to put this out? We got this new record we're writing. You want to put this out? Like, did you have kind of a, a vision and a trajectory for Sensefield on the label? Um. I, I must have, I, I think, I assume Rodney covered this last time with Killed for Less, but I think the original plan was I wanted to combine the two demos and put them out as one record. That was, I think that was the extent of, of my hopes in the beginning. But <laughs> That's all we wanted going, to do. But things oh, were going God. really well with um, the label at that point. Like we sort of came out of the, the downturn after the, nirvana thing for hardcore and, and um bands like Sensefield and into another we're doing we're doing well so obviously um you know this is sort of later on in the story but um major labels were looking at Sensefield, and i actually have no memory of the, the album starting out as a demo um but you might you they you may have gone to pre-production with with was it Bill Crudell? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Bill. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I just don't remember that that side of it too too well. But I do remember you wanting to do something different on the recording because of the, you know, the issues with that you had with Killed for Less. Yeah, we, I mean, just filling that backstory, we we kind of felt like Killed for Less went into a, a, in a kind of an overproduced direction um, from where we initially wanted it. That one kind of got out of our hands, it felt like. The the guy recording it kind of seemed like almost, I don't know, he had an affinity for it, so we kind of like took it where he wanted and not necessarily where we wanted. And so we wanted to do something, I, I guess, a little more, I don't know, less produced, I guess that's the word. So one of the things I wanted to ask about, and it's funny because, you know, Jordan mentioned Nirvana, is you had, so you recorded with Bill Cordell, and then it was mixed by Andy Wallace, who's, you know, famous for yeah. mix, mixing Nevermind and mixed, you know, Slayer stuff. And, you know, basically it seemed like at the time, especially he was mixing every hot record. Yeah, did he you was... guys hook up with him and did, were you there for the mixing? Uh, quickly, I'll let them fill in after that. I mean, we got him involved. Actually, it was um, into another who had worked with him on their like major label debut. They kind of hooked us up. They said they talked him into mixing our record and and doing it for like an affordable price, which was a big score. Um, just to get him to at all was a huge score, and then to get him to do it for like on the cheap was even bigger. And yes, we went, um, he did it, he mixed it in New York, the whole band went out and uh, we were there for the mix, although we weren't allowed in the control room. We just had to sit in the lobby and then come in every so often and hear the mix. And they're really, it was kind of like, 
I don't think we even, if we even were allowed input, really, he just was like, well, Andy Wallace is doing this. We're just going to have to trust that he's going to do a good job. I don't recall us getting a whole lot of like giving him notes too much. What do you guys Did think? Did the stuff sound that much different? Like, because I know the deal was with, um, like, I'll, I'll think, of course, Jason's going to laugh about Nevermind. Like, if you hear, like, you know, Butch Vig initially was going to mix it too. And, yeah. you know, you can hear those versions. And then Andy Wallace kind of brought this, like, you know, the sheen to it that was a little different and made it more sound like, I don't want to say better, but more refined. I don't know. Yeah, but the thing right about, word. the one thing I remember about his technique, and again, we weren't allowed in the control room, so I didn't get to see it in action, but his, a lot of producers will, um, kind of even out the mix by adding lots of compression, kind of smashing everything together. He has a totally different technique where he doesn't really use much compression at all. Everything is is in the, the way he automates the faders. Everything is done by controlling volume rather than squashing everything together. So you get this kind of a clearer overall sound, um, you know, less distortion, less in the mix. And um, that's why, I don't know, that's how he gets the sound from what I understand. Because it sounds, I mean, it holds the, sa- the sound of this record. I listened to it again today. It holds up. Like, it doesn't sound, to me, it doesn't sound dated. It doesn't have, like, it's a timeless capsule, I think, which sometimes, depending on who mixes and who produces stuff, stuff can sound dated. And this, I don't know, to me, this just holds up. And you, it could have been something that came out this year. And, um, you know, I think it, it sonically it holds up. You never can go wrong with just straight, straight guitar oriented like rock with <laughs> no studio gimmickry of the time. If it sounds like that, it's always yeah. going to kind of sound timeless. Yeah. You no, know, no big reverbs or, yeah. you know, certain sounds that just kind of like clue you into the time period it was done. Like the 80s snare of any 80s song just gives it away. Like that snare that's as big as a, it sounds like it's being played in an auditorium. Like, yeah. Which like is the journey now. snare is just, you know, there's no, yeah. there's no substitute. And then you got it mastered Howie Weinberg, who's also another, just a huge name. See his name on, uh, you know, countless records I have in my collection. Yeah. I know um, he was a big, big guy back then. That was all done. That was all done in one trip when we went out there. I don't know if it was like, you guys remember we were there a week, two weeks. It it was kind of a marathon session. I thought I didn't even go. I think it was you and I thought it was just you and John. No, no, I was there. Well, I remember the Andy Wallace thing was really fast. Like I was like kind of surprising. Like how he he only it was only like, like maybe two days or something or three days doing it max. Was it that quick? I feel like it was like. Also, it wasn't like super entertaining to be there because we were, like you said, we were just sitting in the, in the lobby mm-hmm. watching John try to hit on the. the <laughs> it, was, it was pathetic, and, and so, uh, and yeah, the mastering was also kind of. I the mastering was a session. I just only thing I remember about going is we went in there and they were they were showing us their awesome cello speakers and telling us about like they did Mariah Carey in that room or. Something. <laughs> yeah. yeah that was also like super quick too which was very new york <laughs> the mastering was 
super quick you said or the mixing well yeah no both well the mix i mean i john's saying it was even faster i thought i knew it was quick okay. but it was apparently even quicker than i thought he was doing a i guess he must have been doing a couple three songs a day which is i think oh, wow. i think he wasn't done when we left like he like we got masters back i think from like half of it or something so maybe he would did do like four or five days total i don't remember honestly i i remember like sitting in that lobby and just wanting to like go like get something to eat <laughs> <laughs> well it looks like howie weinberg must work too with andy wall like i'm looking at his website howie weinberg mastering.com and like he got like yeah it was uh, if i knowing the way these guys work he must have said this is the guy that i that and masters my record so you're going to go to him it was probably yeah set up that way which was you know fine with us yeah, i know there was a was massive bad. blizzard the whole time we were there Remember that, John? Yeah. Like, it's a crazy <laughs> blizzard at that time. Um, i trying to think what else. So was this done in early 96, you'd say, probably then, I guess? Like, winter? Yeah, it must this, have been. I know this came out been, in the summer. Yeah, it must have been done in, like, January or February, somewhere like that, because okay. it was still very much winter in New York. Um, yeah. I thought everybody went. I guess not. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird combination because recording building. It, I think we started even just like rehearsing there. We just kind of moved our gear like next door into like those other spaces and started recording stuff with Bill. And it it was like the most the 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 track sounded basically like what our rehearsal sounded like for the most part. You know, it was really raw and, and uh, which which was great. And it was really a departure from from Killed for Less. And so it was this like really kind of like punky recording style, you know, in a <laughs> studio and then on 16 track. And then we just like went totally the other direction on the post-production stuff, which was interesting. Yeah, it's a life lesson for everybody. <laughs> Don't overthink yeah. it. Yeah. Less is more. Do it quickly. Uh, I had a question for Rodney. What was the... What was the vocal writing process, the lyric writing process with John? Was that something that you two worked on together? No, well, Outlive the Man, I wrote the lyrics for that one, I think. Yeah. But I don't think we collaborated really on anything else. It was all his, you know, all his ideas. As far as I can, oh, no, I think Everyone I See Is You was his lyrics too. Yeah, it was all him except Outlive the Man. I was, yeah, it was all Wondering Time. That's not yours. That is not yours. Oh, yeah. And well, in those days, too, yeah, we used to do where I just have half the lyrics. Like I'd have something for one part of the song, and then, and John would finish it and add, you know, harmonies. They did, he did that with Wondering Time. Okay. Because we so didn't I, really get into the process of uh, how the songs are written with any of the other records we talked about. And, and back then, I'm sure it was not as easy as here's, an mp3 of the of the song we have and you can yeah. take that and use it to write lyrics so i was curious about that and if you had any good memories of john recording the vocals for this record when it was recorded well i don't remember like i wasn't hardly there for any of it but i know john's favorite thing would be he would get a demo of the song and then have it on headphones and just walk around and just you know work on it forever like redoing the parts until he got something he liked and uh you know, that was kind of his dream. It was, I'd write songs and then put lyrics on them. And he's like, man, just give me something, you know, give me a clean slate so I can do my thing and, you know, be creative. And 
And that's another one in retrospect. I'm kind of like, yeah, probably should have done it that way. <laughs> but yeah, he, it, some of the songs like Will for what, on that album is just probably one of my favorite things I ever wrote. But then my favorite thing he ever sang, just the, the layers of harmonies he did on that. And like, you know, John did a lot of neat stuff, but some of it was just like, where did all that come from? You know, it was just like so beautiful. Well said. Yeah, well, and that one has like those falsetto vocals and everything. Um, yeah, he was he was taking a lot of chances, you know, for whatever indie rock, I guess. And it was amazing. Yeah. It was just so soothing and smooth. And the way he did the sort of call and answer to himself and the verses and stuff like. Yeah, it was, it was just super interesting and like not, you know, not typical, I think, for of the time. I wanted to ask this record i remembered i had the cd originally and it was the only one the only cd and i mentioned this before where you could get it from columbia house because it said distributed by warner brothers so yeah. i don't know if if jordan if you can maybe give a little insight was it the kind of thing where you guys had after this for before this was coming out got signed to, to your Warner Brothers contract so that was on there or was it because I feel like maybe the early copies didn't have it and then it was repressed like that I, I was never sure can we yeah, just that... leave that as another one of those unsolved mysteries <laughs> and, and move forward because that was sure, a train I mean... wreck unless you guys want to hear more regrettable decisions or... but yeah that I mean it's it's up to what you guys feel no, no, whatever no, people... I mean we're going to be the rundown yeah that record existed or at least the tracks existed when we got signed to Warner Brothers. We signed it to Warner Brothers like in early 96, which makes sense. And then, so that wasn't an album. It was just a handful of tracks we had. <clears throat> the idea was to put it out on Revelation. That was the plan. It was, Revelation was going to put it out. But a deal was struck. And I think Bunch, it was very important to him that Warner put that record out, if I remember correctly. So there was a thing that happened where Revelation put it out for a certain number of copies and then it kind of transferred over, over to Warner Brothers. That's why you see both. Does that sound familiar to everybody? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah well, my memory so of it was explain it like <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and it really in in rea in reality and and the way it worked functionally, it worked okay. It was just it was just a bad idea because of what happened after that, I think. I, I think everybody was just too, uh, like the band had a manager and, and there's this kind of tug of war of, over the album and where Warner wanted to put it out and we, you know, it was already halfway done on Revelation. We wanted to put it out. And what should have happened is one party should have just let it go. And um, and then the next record could have been on Warner Brothers and and all would have probably been better. Or if we let it go and this record was the Warner Brothers record, then hopefully that would have worked out. But I think it just took, you know, it took the wind out of the sails for, for the staff there that was really into the band to to kind of try to work, work, work on a record where half of it was put out by the previous label. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. And that is a pretty good synopsis because it was it's a really stupid idea to have something come out and then transfer it to another label and expect them to work on it and like get behind <laughs> it because it was very half-hearted effort like they kind of gave a token 
Well, this is Warner. I'm talking about the token effort. Didn't really do much with it. I mean, we I think we recorded, we did a video and they kind of, kind of threw it out there, but it would have been much better if it had just come out on Revelation as it was intended. And then we did, you know, moved on from there. But it sounds like the, the Husker, you know, sort of like what happened with Husker Du was they signed and then they still put out Flip Your Wig. They signed before that and they put out Flip Your Wig still on SST. And then mm. even though they were in the process, it hadn't been out and they signed. I guess you're saying it could have been like that, where it was just on revelation. It should have been. It should have been a revelation. For some stupid reason, it was important to us and possibly our management that Warner Brothers also work the record, which was dumb. <laughs> but we, we didn't always make great decisions. I think Warner actually wanted the record. And if if they would have pushed it as as their own release it probably hopefully would have would have worked out better but i think as it as it, and we really i think we released it simultaneously um you had it for like the first few months and then it transferred or something uh, yeah that well, was then, my yeah that's probably a bad time, idea but... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we were just able to overcomplicate things and ruin <laughs> I blame myself for that. I mean, and and really, I wish I wish somebody had the foresight to just go, okay, you know, like let we'll we'll let go, you know. But somehow it just got this this thing that nobody really liked got got kind of pushed through the system, and everyone agreed to it, and you know, it worked it worked out okay for us. Obviously, you know, we sold probably roughly the same amount that we would have. But what we were hoping Warner Brothers would do, which is like you know, be the ramp up to the clouds or something. Uh, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm glad that you guys held on to it because we wouldn't, one, we wouldn't have been able to do an ep- a podcast episode on this record. <laughs> and two, I mean, if you think about it, who knows? Because if, if it would have been Warner proper, you don't know if it would have been something where it was like, you know, into another seamless where now you can't, you know, can't even find a copy or whatever. Um, but uh so you know, for that, I'm thankful that it still has the Rev Star on it. Did this end up selling more than Killed for Less, like uh, at the time? I don't remember, but I, the, I think all all the records sold well enough that we didn't. You know, it wasn't like the one was a hit, and you know, they were just all solid records for us. I would say when I get my uh, royalty checks now, the building is always way above the other albums. It seems like. I mean, not like it's, <laughs> but it's, you know, that's also, I think we talked about that before is when we put this thing out, you know, I mean, it wasn't like there was like an overwhelming reaction to it from the fans. They were all still like, play the Kill to Less song. You don't want to hear me. my mind. Wow. <laughs> see, but I didn't see you guys. Still... Right? Well, uh, so Rodney, if that's the case, then maybe, maybe, maybe Warner did something. In that the, there are people out there listening to the building album more than the, the independent stuff. Well, that or it's just more interesting than the other stuff. I mean, it to me, if I had to pick a favorite, you know, Sinsfield album, it'd be probably be that one. You know, the production on our later stuff is nice and there's so many beautiful songs and stuff. But uh, I just think, well, I'm not getting the warranties. I'm not getting the Warner royalty statements. So. I only have Rev albums to compare it to, but it just seems like it's doing better than, like, it's maybe just, you know, just the same thing like we're talking about. Everybody, now, it's a little more interesting to everybody than 
other stuff maybe i don't know what yeah, was the tour cycle for this record how long did you wait to tour after this came out we toured right away i mean we did the most touring we ever did was that year 96 and it was a pretty varied like tour schedule we did like the warp tour at least oh, the okay. east coast part of that we opened for the Boston's. That was a trip. Whoa. That yeah. was a tough slot, but they were they were really cool and fun to tour with. Um, yeah, their their fans were all uh, quiet, you know, while we played. We would call them the fish heads because they just kind of stare at and their <laughs> their singer was like, Well, at least they didn't shit our name all the way through your set. They do that to other bands, you know, that open for the Boston. Oh, so that, yeah, that's that's good. And didn't you guys do a lot with uh, Texas. Yeah, we did a we did a run with Texas. Um, I might have been the first one on that cycle. Um, I know we did more than that. Does anybody else remember? Because it seemed like we were on tour like half the year that year. Yeah, it all kind of blurs together for me. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. <laughs> the there's, a, there's a lot of beers. There's a lot of beers, and there's a lot of backstage rooms where i was drinking beers <laughs> john do you have any good memories from that tour i i have great memories from all the tours i honestly i, I would say touring was my favorite thing that we did so i uh i just think that it was it's so fun to just play a new town every night you know i guess the work part is sort of just traveling in between cities like you know and then hanging around in the gross place like in the middle of the afternoon until people show up. <laughs> but but actually playing was so fun and, and really great. That was such a good time. I think we had a lot of fun. We we did we did a ton of shows and uh yeah, I, I couldn't for the life of me tell you where they were or <laughs> with who. I know I know we did tours with Texas and we did the warp tour and yeah, but I, I, that was just a crazy a crazy summer. And then all the stuff with sort of Warner Brothers going on, and you know, we had such a weird thing with Warner Brothers, you know, because like, like uh, they wanted they wanted buildings, sort of, <laughs> you know, and they kind of wanted to put it out, and but at the same time, like f like throughout our relationship with them, they seemed like super concerned about like us re-recording old songs, like they wanted to do this thing, and uh, which was really a dumb move because like like the, the band had like so many songs and so many new songs there was like it was almost like silly to go back and record songs like three four times like we did but <laughs> yeah that was a recurring theme throughout our whole career is having to go back and re-record old shit for the second or third time because then you guys um i know you also but that might have been later toured with like Jimmy Eat World. Didn't you do some, a lot of stuff with them? Or am I thinking, I know yeah. you played here in Philly with them and I, I wasn't at that, unfortunately. Um, we, yeah, we took them out. I think it was their first tour. Uh, that might've been also 96, if I remember correctly. Does that, I think it would've been the same year. I think it was. Yeah, we Static Prevails. Jimmy, I think. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it was before, before they had the one record that really started taking off. And then everything changed and then it was everything flip-flopped you know <laughs> they were taking us out on the road not us taking them out on the road anymore after that they um i remember I, they were they were so excited to see us the first show we i think we played it were they in tempe or somewhere we were in phoenix, phoenix. 
And uh, it must have been Jim gave me their uh, demo. And, you know, so many kids give you their demos on tour and you're like, oh, okay, thanks. I hope it's good. And it was amazing. They had like really catchy songs. And I was like, wow, these guys are into us. I mean, that, you know, that was one of the one and only demos, I think, that I got from a kid on tour that was actually amazing, you know. It's always amazing it, you, when anybody you know is in a band. You pretty much always ima uh, imagine they suck, and then when they don't, it's like a real, you know. <laughs> yeah, it really is yeah. true. It's like you, you want to imagine that your friends are all doing great things, but yeah, yeah the that was that was super inspiring because you know the kid that can write cool songs is in your band or whatever. It was like you're on the right track or something. I don't know. Give me a good feeling. Yeah, they because um and then you know after this record you guys you know you were then officially with warner and then there's a whole we won't really i'm sure it's been talked to death where you guys were sort of it was like almost like in a limbo like I, the only time i got to see you was in philly in 1999 with um juliana theory uh oh, yeah. was that maybe the i forget what used to be dobbs pontiac grill or something like that that sounds familiar and um but it was this weird time frame where you had no new record. So it was like you had building was 96 and then there's this show. And then, you know, tonight and forever wasn't for another, um, wasn't for another two years. Um, I mean, that had to be kind of frustrating for you guys to, to be in that purgatory almost. It was, and it wasn't, it wasn't like it was, I, it was someone else's fault. I mean, a lot of that was self-imposed. That was us. Um, I mean, we were at once we were, we were told by somebody at Warner that take your time. Nobody's like, you know, we're not going to rush you. We don't. Nobody's like clamoring to get the next record from me right now. So just, you know, write songs, do whatever, and never. That's a big mistake. Telling Sensefield that there's no deadline and <laughs> time is not a good. Well, thing. yeah. And my part of that, to be honest, I mean, songwriting and recording was kind of my favorite part. And the touring was fun. But, you know, if we didn't have to tour and we could just keep recording and hanging out, like I just I never had the push to to make us go on tour. You know, it's like for me and they, you know, they were paying us to live, I think, at the time. So it well, was like so if we could just hang out and record music and, you know, yeah. I didn't. And we got our own studio. We got our own um, little studio, well, rehearsal space, which was actually had been converted into kind of a makeshift studio by the guy who had recorded Building, this guy Bill Cordell. And we took <coughs> over the building from them. It was like a little bungalow in El Segundo, California, and that became where we did all the demoing for the what was to be the next record. And we just, I mean, Christ, we spent what two years just dicking around, screwing around demoing songs and i've got four or five demos where it's got scott and john like people playing on it and they're not very, they're not even very good song i mean some of them it's just like man we were just demoing part of me is like i can't believe i got people to learn all this stuff you know it's like the well, quantity for a long period of time we just went into like a black hole of just you know I mean, it's like we just went into that studio and didn't come out for a couple of years there's tons of songs that we yeah like we recorded that we never did anything with yeah it might have been i would love I to uh, i would love to um 
I guess if people are listening or interested and, and that you, and if you guys agreed, I would honestly love to take a deep dive into the last two records for like a bonus content, because I, I love those albums, both of them. Um, but, you know, we're here to talk about building. So, you know, but yeah, that'd be neat to cover the whole Sensefield arc from beginning to end kind of, it was, I mean, every record's pretty different. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree as a fan. So I guess if, let us know if you're listening and you want us to talk to these guys again about um, tonight and forever and living outside. Yeah. And when we signed on, we were talking to Rodney about the Gavin Oglesby artwork, Gavin from note for an answer. And I just wanted to ask Rodney, what he remembers or uh, about working on the, working with him on the paintings for this record. I didn't have any input on it really. Just, you know, he did killed for less. I he did killed for less, and then, you know, I was frustrated at first because I wanted to do my art stuff, but then I got to where it was just perfect. You know, killed for less just seemed like a perfect cover for the album, and then he did building, and it all seemed like well, that all fits. You know, it like it looks nice and goes together, and so yeah, I wasn't involved with it, but it's those are probably my favorite album covers. You know, yeah, I mean the work is awesome, and then. Uh, I was curious if he had listened to the record and then based the paintings off of the lyrics to the songs or if it was yeah, paintings I think that he few. had. Yeah. He, he chose building as the, I mean, he actually chose that as the name of the album. We didn't choose that. He, he picked that one out. Um, but on both records, he just did his own thing. We didn't, I mean, we didn't have any input, honestly. He had a concept that he wanted to do and he, he told us that he wanted to do these artist i mean he wanted to do these paintings of these figure studies from like the turn of the century um so that's what he used these photographs as the basis for those um but but yeah that the concept and everything is totally his and i think we mentioned this in the other one of the like maybe the kill for less thing is that we knew of him from like old punk days i mean he was known for his leather jacket paintings and um, so we knew who he was. And I think, how did, Jordan, do you remember how we got hooked up with him? Is that something you put together? I don't remember. With Gavin? Yeah. I thought like something that he came to I you. I think he was, you must have known him from Reason to Believe days because he was in No For An Answer and maybe some other bands. And and uh, I don't think I had anything to do with that. No, really. I thought he contacted you or something and wanted to do it. Oh yeah, maybe maybe he maybe he was a fan. Um, you know, I, I think Joe Nelson and all all, of, all all the mutual friends that we had. Um, it just sort of kind of uh, it just brought uh, a bunch of people together, and he he probably was somebody that was following Sensefield from the the beginning. And, this, and maybe somebody suggested it. So sorry for sorry for adding nothing, but. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the CD has more paintings in it than the LP, but I guess at the time that was probably the more popular format was the CD and it has the booklet that has extra paintings that are on the LP insert that all look very nice. I got some of the original paintings from him like a few years ago. Some of the little, they're like little paintings like this. I got like four of them. Oh, wow. So neat. Including the one, I think, do I have the one on the cover? Yeah, just as if 
I mean, they are straight fine oh, art like, paintings. Like, they're like this big. This is like an original. Yeah, I, I, oh, wow. That's one of my, yeah, the artwork on this. It, like I said, it, it, it ties, it's, it's, it's like the rug in the Big Lebowski. It just ties the whole room together. <laughs> in this case, the room is, is the record. It just, it's just, um, you know, and, and yeah, the CD, I'll, I'll say for anybody that likes artwork, you got to get your hands on the CD. because Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he definitely kind of maybe Columbia. Maybe he can still do Columbia House. I don't know if it still <laughs> exists, but maybe it's on. There. <laughs> okay. Can I take it way back since Jordan's with us and ask yeah. him about the hearing the sense field demos and doing and putting them out together? Just and to get were you a big reason to believe fan too? That's what I wanted to know. I forget if we touched on that before. Me, um, I yeah, I think those two demos were just they were they were going around the you know the community everybody was listening to it it was like when the chromax demo came out in new york every every how every place you walked by you'd hear that this the same record playing and i think for a while sensefield was what people were just listening to and and i you know i caught the bug thanks to a couple of people just they said it to me enough times to, to go get the demos at zed so I, I got that first blue one and played it to death and then i got the next one and same thing and really the same thing with that that album on the Canadian label that the after Warner that record I listened to constantly for it must have been a month just that was the only like I just played the same record over and over again so that, that's what that, that's what those um I don't remember the name of it but your first record after the Warner tonight and forever record oh yeah 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 tonight and forever yeah I don't know. um you know I I wanted to ask you know I it's a, you know, we're talking about sense field. I want to talk a little bit about John Bunch, um, just because I think, you know, I mean, his voice to me was like the main, like right away, that was what cap, you know, captivated me as a fan. Um, and I just feel like his voice just got even stronger over time, you know, once it hit building and then those, the, the network records era stuff and then even you know what he did later with uh further seems forever um i mean what was what was what was it like working with john and you know he's one of these people where i feel like you know and it's unfortunate that it takes when someone passes but when he, when he passed away it was like just this outpouring of of love for him and you know, it seems like the recurring thing was just people didn't have a bad thing to say about him. Now, you guys, it might be a little different because you're you're like family. You're in this band. You're not like on the outside of touring band. You know, you're in the van with him. But I guess if you could just share maybe some memories of John or you know just well, anything to add. With the lyrical thing, like I'm just kind of bummed because I didn't get it till a lot later. Like. I liked more intricate lyrics, you know, like or melodies that would go kind of up and down and, and John would do a lot more where it was just kind of always on one note or a few notes. Yeah. And it was a lot more rhythmic. And then now I get, you know, he was just doing a, it's amazing thing. It was just completely different than what I, the kind of creativity I wanted to do. But now that I get it, you know, like see the art that he was doing, Cause when you're, I don't know, when I was younger, it was like, you know, well, it'll be better the way I want to do it, you know, whatever. And now, and now when I look back, I'm like, man, he was an artist, just all those harmonies and 
you know, the, what he was doing, it was just so different from what I did or wanted to do. But now, you know, I finally can appreciate it now. And it was like, especially on building. I mean, there's just, you know, I, I didn't appreciate what he was doing at the time because I could sing and, you know, so now that I look back on it, it's like, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. You know, his style and the way he sang and I can sing, but it's just not that energy. You know, John had that energy, that punk energy all the way through, you know, everything. So it just, you know, it was just so much more up. Like I can write songs, but they're just kind of, I don't know. It just seems mellower. And John just had that intensity the whole time. And now that I, in retrospect, I get it now, you know, it's like, you're always singing one note but it sounds amazing, you know, like it works with the song, so. Right, right. Yeah, John had, um, he had a lot of different influences, like influences that the rest of us probably didn't have at the time. He definitely had the, the hardcore thing. I mean, even songs like Overstand on the record, that's a reference to a Bad Marine lyric. So he still brought kind of a lot of that stuff along, but at the same time, he was really into R.E.M. and U2 and In Excess and stuff like that. So, you know, that kind of informed like his kind of the way, like the more intricate vocal parts and the, the harmonies and all that stuff. I can um, totally hear that. I mean, I, I've said someone in our, we have a private discord for patrons and we were talking about building and someone got a little uh, less than happy with me that I compared you guys to, you know, I said this, this record specifically too gives me U2 vibes, which... I love you too. So that's not an insult. And to me, this sounds like if you two were brought up on like 80s, late 80s discord or something yeah. instead of like Joy Division and the Ramones. Like it yeah. has that, it has that feel. You can just, you can definitely hear, I think, the influence musically and just um, the way it sounds. So that's kind of, it's nice to hear that John that was yeah, you would, he was you would appreciate that and sometimes I feel I feel bad for some of the material that we gave John to work with you know like a song like different times I we're still trying to figure out what the hell how he even managed to sing what he sings over that crazy time signature like that, it doesn't even doesn't even make sense over it and yet it works it's like it as frustrating as it was at the time that was some of my favorite stuff I think where I'd come up with some crazy off time thing and john would try to write soothing lyrics over it like you know not like he's trying to make it nicer but kind of in a way like like killed for less and different times like i don't know there's something like i try to make it as weird as possible and then he made it you know friendly and kind of you know i don't know how you describe it but yeah that that was kind of a perfect train wreck on a couple songs where his lyrical rhythm, like, yeah, I couldn't even listen to him while we were playing sometimes. Like, I just had to focus on the guitar part. We were, How about you, Rod, John? Do you, oh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, both Rodney and I were pretty selfish in what we gave him. We didn't often, unless Rodney already had lyrics and, and melodies worked out for the song, we didn't take into consideration at all what would happen with the vocals. You know, we wouldn't give him, like, extended choruses to sing over or anything like that. And we didn't. We never took the time to like try to find the right uh, to, 
to put the song in the right key for John's, like to, to make his vocals sound the best, we would just like arbitrarily decide it was going to be in this key and put a capo on the seventh fret or something, which yeah. who knows why, but we would just do that random shit like that for no reason. And John just had to work with it. And we wouldn't even like, I don't know, we were super stubborn about it too. <laughs> but I think it made a great record of building at least it like, because he found a way to make, you know, beautiful stuff over all the sort of random things we gave him to work with. Yeah, like Ronnie said, he just used to like, we'd give him songs. He loved, I mean, he re- that's one thing he did love is when we would give him songs that he can write to. I mean, that was like, you know, I think he always thought that was sort of a gift that, you know, we'd give him stuff that he could do his own thing to. And he would work on them for a long, long time and try to perfect them and sometimes write several different completely different melodies before he finally you know honed in on the right one i don't think writing uh to to sing over top of the music we were playing could, could have been easy I, I didn't envy him trying to figure out <laughs> you remember yeah. we were in i don't remember it was in this was it was on was either st louis or Nashville or somewhere on the mississippi do you remember and um What's his name? Um, fuck, Ronnie or John. Remind me the the, the really well-regarded India. Uh, Jeff Buckley uh-huh. was in the club the night we were playing, and um, this is like right before he died. I mean, he died drowned in the Mississippi, so I think it might have happened like days later. And he came up. You know, John went up and talked to him because that was John. He will talk to anybody. He's like the friendliest guy in the world. And Jeff Buckley said to him, I don't know how you fucking sing over that shit. Like, because <laughs> it was just a cacophony of noise. Like, how the hell are you making any sense of that? <laughs> like, thanks. I love that. That's, that's And Jeff Buckley apparently was almost tried out for uh, Into Another. You know, we oh, talked really? about that. Yeah, wow. so that, that wraps it all up. I, I guess I wanted to, you know, obviously we, we mentioned when you guys did so we are we're jumping a little ahead. We're skipping the the last two albums, which again I would I would love to talk about those another time. Um, you did the Rev uh, Rev twenty five in two thousand twelve two thousand twelve yeah, and then I felt at least from the social media sense field you know I would see it seemed like were you guys gearing up to do other stuff before John uh you know john's you know untimely passing or like that was what i felt as a fan i was like oh they're like they're going to be doing something there's going to be uh you know some sense field shows or something i wasn't planning on it but i don't, I don't know how the so. other bands i don't know how the other guys felt but I, I just thought it was fun we were doing those we got to do those two great shows you know like long after everything was done and there were still so many people into us like but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any plans for doing more really after that. Yeah, I don't think any of us did, but it was fun doing those, um, the, the couple Rev um, anniversary things we did. It was nice to do that again, you know? Everybody had kind of moved on and done living different lives and then suddenly to do that again. But that's what gave Bunch the bug to do it again. And that's why he started doing music again. and. Um, who did he tour? He went out on tour with War Generation. Was that his? No, that was yeah, his they, they had our album on Rise. It's quite good, actually. 
maybe further seems forever. That well, that was that, yeah, that was right after we broke up. He did that. Yeah. Uh, okay. That record's also. I've never heard any other further seems forever forever besides the album he's on. Like I didn't. I know the Dashboard Confessional guy was the singer originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that record is also great. And then he was doing War Generation, and then his final band was um, something Scar. Lucky Scar. Lucky Scars. That's it. Yeah. He toured with Ignite. I feel like he's saying yes in Europe. I saw. Yeah. Well, yeah, it would be Europe, wouldn't it? They don't seem to care. It's not the original. Yeah, and I think they loved it. I mean, I, I would have loved to have heard. I saw a little teeny bit of footage of him doing a uniform choice cover with Ignite, like in their practice space. And I was like, oh, John, God, John was a big uniform choice guy back in the day. Mm -hmm. Love to have heard. Um, but yeah, I mean, when he, I, I'll say as a fan and just, you know, being friendly with John online, I was absolutely just devastated you know when i heard that he had passed away um just because i you know i just think i just know that you know i it, it just it sucked i don't know what else to, i don't yeah. know what, what else to say it was just really i was i was absolutely gutted and you know maybe just because of i think the way he presented himself not only you know online and being friendly and you know like I just remember little things like when my mom passed away and I was friends with him on Facebook and he offered condolences. Um, and I just thought that was really sweet, you know, and, uh, yeah, even I, just knowing him through the music, it was like, I felt like I lost a friend. Um, you know, I felt it was like, like John's seemed like he was struggling a little bit in the later part of his life, you know, to be happy and find peace and stuff. And, you know, I, I was not in a great place in my head either. So, you know, I hung out with him a little, but in retrospect, you know, you see pictures of him and stuff and you can tell, you know, he, he was having a hard time and I think he didn't want to reach out to anybody, you know, for help as far as, you know, whatever was going on with him. And I just, you know, if you're struggling or if you've got a friend that's struggling with, with, you know, issues in life, like, you know, I just, I thought John was fine. You know, he was, you know, he's just John. He was going to be fine forever. So yeah, just, uh, you don't realize where somebody's at, you know, like I felt like, you know, we all get points in our life where we're not doing great or whatever, but, <clears throat> but yeah, with John, it just, he was really having a hard time towards the end, feeling good about things. I think it's just, oh, it's, just it's a, it's a bummer. I don't, I don't really know what else to say other than just you know, obviously I wish that I would have loved to you know, have him here. And I think it's hard for guys to reach out for help sometimes, you know, like a, it's not a manly thing really to, if you're struggling, you know, with stuff. So I think with John, it was like, you know, I just drink some more beers and I'll be fine. And so I just think of any, you know, not to drag it out too long, but yeah, if you're struggling, if anybody, you know, is, it seems like they're having a hard time. I wish I would have paid more attention to how bad off, you know, John was feeling and stuff. Um, yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I talked to him and it, it it's, just, I don't know. It's not easy to 
to tell always how somebody is doing. Agreed. And he always would play it off put, like he's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, like I said, it's it's it sucks, and and like you said, Rodney. Hopefully, people realize like you know, it's it's not a bad thing to if you're hurting, if you're yeah, to, to talk know, to your friends, talk to your family, talk to somebody, and 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 just you know, it wasn't try. you know, it's, it's just it wasn't necessary. I mean, there's another way. Something else could have worked out. It's just you know, it's hard for people to see it. I guess when they're in that state. Agreed. But, uh, but you, the one thing that I thought was nice was there were the benefit, the you know, the uh, remembering John Bunch shows. And yeah. I got lucky that even though I'm on the East Coast here, we got one in, in Philly, yeah. DLA that I went to. What was that like? Um, you know, especially because I know the, the California one was within several weeks of, of his passing. Um, but yet the mood still just seemed like a like a celebration um of of john and of just like all the lives he touched and i mean that that lineup for the california show i know um i was like man i wish i could have made it out i mean it was just like i mean i'm sure john would have tripped i know he's a huge scream fan like scream played and texas is the reason you know played again even though they had said never play again again Mm. and of course they're going to get together for this i'm not uh you know smirching them a bit and just rocking from the crypt just like so many bands i know javier was was at the california uh show um what was that like having you know prepping for that and being like oh we're, we're reuniting but it's <laughs> like kind of for a and you know not less than ideal circumstances oh, yeah, it was a really positive experience i mean i was kind of blown away by the response you know that all those bands would come out and play in his honor like i mean it was you know i mean it was like a festival practically i mean it was yeah multiple venues i mean dozens of bands it was crazy i mean some of his favorite bands you know that did it and when we played our set i mean it was really it was pretty moving you know that all these different singers would came up and sang the songs and you know the crowd response was awesome it was it was a really fitting end to it all. And I think he would have been blown away. Yeah. I I wish he could have understood that there was that love out there for him somehow, like connected with it in some way or whatever, because he didn't seem like he knew any of that. You know, there's just so much enthusiasm for things he did, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at all the people that, that sang. I mean, you had like, and a lot of revelation alumni you had, I saw, you know, Richie, Jeff from Game Face, like they both nailed, you know, just nailed it. Popeye yeah. doing, I mean, I got I got choked up at, at the Philly show. The, the, yeah, seeing those songs and what a, what an amazing experience, um, you know, just to, to honor somebody like that. And I think that had to be also some nice, at least had to be nice closure for you guys. Um, it was. It was a nice way to end it. You know, it was a good kind of ending yeah John you know he John was like the most relentlessly positive person I've ever met yeah (laughs) and so it was it wasn't really like a downer doing this thing because all the people there really knew him you know and uh so they they had an experience of this thing too so I think that's mostly what what we were connecting about 
Yeah, I mean, you, we would all love to think we could have a funeral or, or something like that in our honor. I mean, it was pretty amazing the, the number of people that, you know, that he connected with over the years and were there for him in the end. You know, it's pretty crazy if you only know. I know. Were there any of the, um, so, you know, you had all these friends sing songs. Was there anybody that, they were all great, everybody. I saw, but was there any one person that maybe you're like, holy shit, I didn't know they were going to knock it out of the park like this, uh, doing the, the vocals for those shows? I feel I mean, like they all did great. In, um, the one that always stands out to me was uh, Garrett's rendition of Dreams. That was Yeah, he got so into that. It was amazing. Because Garrett was a a guy we knew from the very, I mean, that we met in the very beginning on our very first tour um, back in Buffalo. And he liked that song, I think, then. And to have him do it, you know, so many years later in, the, in that, in those circumstances was was pretty cool. Yeah, he did a great job uh, at, at, out here as well. Uh, and I know he played acoustically, too, before Sensefield went on. Um, but yeah, the vibe was, I'll have to say the vibe was just fantastic for, for what it was. Like it really felt like a community um, of people just celebrating, um, yeah. celebrating John. So I thank you guys again, just for, you know, sharing those, you know, memories and stuff, because again, as a fan, you know, of Sensefield, John, you know, touched a lot of people. So yeah. it's, it's nice and to, to hear that and, and talk about it. So I guess, Unless anybody else has anything else we could get to hot track. Hot tracks. Um Jordan, do you have a hot track on, on building? Uh, I, I'm not prepared. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I, I'm, I'm going to ask Hav only because I'm just, I'm dying to know what, what Javier said. Cause he said, when he said he picked one, I was like trying to guess what it could be. And I came up short. So. Yeah. So when, when we very first started doing this podcast, I started scouring the used book and music stores in Orange County. And I came across a used copy of building this is like over a year ago and i put it in my car listened to it a couple times i had never heard it before until a year ago and then i didn't really listen to it too much until we prepped for this episode and i listened to it you know a couple more times um since i listened to it on cd i kind of guessed the track like splitting of a vinyl or cassette and i really liked side b right the second half of the album i felt like it felt a lot different than the first half of the album it was like a little bit more of a journey and some of the parts were more dynamic and stood out to me and i think what kicked that uh part of the journey off was the title track building which is my favorite song on the album followed by in the light of in the light of things 
I like building that's... is actually the last track on the first side. Oh, really? That's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, and that I feel like, and this is not to say there's like a lull or it's not interesting before it gets to building, but once it hits building, I feel like the album really cranks up to a different level and the, the subsequent songs are on a kind of a different level than the first half of the album. So anyway, that's my nerd critique uh, of the album and building is my hot track. I could have just said that, but I, I had a lot of words that I wanted to get out. So. No, no, I, I, I love it. So uh, how about you, John? You're on the hot seat next. Well, this album, I, I think somebody talked about this being one, like maybe it was you, you said you had to listen to this from beginning to end and it, it really, even though like recording it, it didn't, it didn't have this feel when we finally put it all together, it really does have this whole album feel. So uh, it's pretty hard. I, I always loved No Man's Land because I just love the drums and, and some of Chris's guitar on that song. Uh, but I, I guess favorite song is probably Side Unseen. Just, it's just so good. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great closing track and just like the, I love like the acoustic guitars and then how it just kicks in. It's, I and can't another way to close it. Um, and it's, it's an oh, adventure. Live. Yeah. It's People good question. I think I'd always say no <laughs> for some reason. Oh, it's never been played live. I don't think we ever, maybe in the very beginning of Sensitive, we did, but once that we put it out, I don't think we ever did it live. And I think that was always me that always put the kibosh on that. Yeah. I don't even remember why. I just thought maybe we'd screw it up or something, or I just didn't want to deal with it. I don't know. I, I wrote a lot of songs that were kind of too hard for me to play live. <laughs> Like I'd write myself into a corner, I think sometimes. Like Wondering Time, I don't think we ever played that live just because no, we I couldn't actually. That it scarred you for life. Yeah, Remember? getting through the intro of Voice was enough. I had to get through that for twenty years, so <laughs> I couldn't handle another picking intro. Plus, uh, Wondering Time was way harder. Yeah, you were big on those picking parts that yeah they're probably cool when you're sitting at home your <laughs> but on stage it's like oh shit yeah uh, nerves combined with not the best coordination made the picking parts really challenging <laughs> so um well i guess rodney did, what, what's your hot track while we got yeah i think leia probably i don't know there's so many of them i like but leia just because that was one where i wrote the first half of the song and then chris had this other part from something that just was a part and uh the way they went together and that was another where those things where i wrote the messed up chord progression and john came up with don't give up don't give in over it and it like you know that same thing where i did something weird and he did something people could relate to kind of over it and like you know that was one of the main things i remember people singing along to live you know he would stop and do the don't give up don't give in and everybody would oh, yeah. shout it into the mic like, i see jason so when we jason said because we don't tell each other our hot tracks and jason said i saw him with a little index card was i was i correct seeing the index card oh yeah yeah okay i did write so your, I said, what i thought i said I, want, I said i want you to i want you to write down what you think it is because he said i bet i know your hot track and it is we'll do on the count of three. One, two, three. In the light of things, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I also have 
runner up leia <laughs> okay good good so good. i got it and that that song i think it was always a favorite of mine but when john passed for me it like took a whole new life that ending part yeah i mean you guys are everyone's firing on all cylinders the bass at that part is just absolutely killer all the stuff going on with the guitars the the little like woo harmonies um but the lyric you know sing on live on leave your light on yeah i mean that i get every time i get the the goosebumps um it's just and like i said i think about that you know you can't help but just think about john Mm -hmm. when you hear it and all the stuff you know he was going through like you said in his life yeah um but that one Oh, I just, I, well, that, he, I mean, that that's was, just honestly one of my favorite songs. Um, yeah, he was, period. He was doing good. I mean, he wasn't struggling until way towards the end. I mean, he was thriving in that period, you know, that was right. But I'm know. just saying it kind of took a new, it took a new life to hear and kind of, yeah. Well, if you listen to a lot, of, a lot of John's lyrics talk about leaving this world, and it's weird when you listen back now in retrospect, like, there was, I guess, a darkness in the lyrics that I didn't, you know, I didn't really pick up on. I just thought, you know, it's just his songs or whatever, but there's a few where it, you know. Like, that's one of those songs where I, there's some songs where I like, I can't imagine what it was like to have that played back at the final, like maybe when you were done recording and hearing it for the first mm-hmm. time, because it's yeah. just, it's just one of those, it's one of those like lightning in a box. It's like just a perfect song. And like you said, that don't give up, don't give in. Yeah. And the way he just says it, and it's like it's totally made for like him to just not even have to use his microphone and the, the crowd yeah. sing like a U2 song, you know, like it's um, I just think that's that to me, that's if if I ran the world, that would have mm-hmm. been like the hit song of 1996. It would have been all over the radio. Yeah, I think John was a friendly, fun guy, but he had a deep kind of seriousness to him, des- almost a desperation kind of to find peace and joy. And I think that's what makes so many of his lyrics believable because he was really trying to yeah. tell that to himself. You know, well, there's like a he- big spiritual, there is, and I wanted to, there's a lot of spiritual undertones to these lyrics yeah um that again that was kind of where i i got the you know the whole like u2 comparison especially the early you know yeah u2 stuff um but it was like just done in such a way that's not heavy-handed and universal i mean that's a tough thing to do to write lyrics like that that aren't like cringy and yeah the top and i just think he did I mean, he did such an amazing job. Um, yeah. And I really hear it on this album. Um, yeah. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> I, could, I could go on. and. I. It's funny, though. I got a not track. Can I do an opposite track for building? If there was one, Please. I would take off. I would probably take off everyone I see. I always think I'd like to put uh, Nothing Between Us in there, or maybe I don't think part of the deal existed yet, but just How about whatever. Day? Huh? How about Shady Day? Would yeah, Shady like Day. Put that on? I don't know why everyone I see. I think it's because the chorus just seemed. It's just one of those things. It probably sounds fine to other people, but in my head, I'm always like, nah, you could have just skipped that one. 
All right, let's see. Well, Jason, you had the index card. I did. So, so in 1996, I was really into Madball, Integrity, Chromags, Brotherhood. But I also like to seek out more indie rockish bands on compilations. And so I had a Details Magazine music compilation that had uh, Paul Westerberg, Lush, Nick Cave, and it also had Sensefield. And it had the song Shallow Grave. And all of the guitar work in that song and the drums and the vocals, and it takes you on a journey like Rodney was talking about. It goes from, you know, it builds up, it slows down, it builds up, it slows down. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful love song, so. And that was another example, like that chorus is just a musical, not a train wreck, but that's a noisy thing. And then John comes up with this wonderful thing to sing over it and, you know, like. That's a a great one, yeah. Yeah. But I do have to, it was hard because I do love the lyrics to Overstand. Yeah, because it it it's a song that presents the lyrics in a way that anyone that's listening can relate to the lyrics because it yeah. goes through the woman, man, father, daughter. Yeah, John, I just think that's so awesome that wordplay that anyone yeah. that hears it is going to feel those lyrics. But I also think those lyrics wouldn't jump out at you as much without the music behind it. Yeah, it's a killer yeah. opener. It's the it's a, such a good. Like, I love that the way it's sequenced, um, like, it's one of these things where I would never, like, play around with the sequencing. Sometimes there's records where you go, oh, this would be, like, a really good last song. Like, yeah. I love that it's just this one-two punch of overstand and, you know, outlive the man. <laughs> and then you get into different times. It's yeah. a little d- different and pun, and pun not intended. Um, Let me and, give a uh, bit of bow real quick, though, to Chaka. He did an he did a great job of doing this song. I thought on the video. Of doing the Overstand? From, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. I was, that was in Philly. He did it. Um, yeah. He did a, a, an amazing job. But um, Shallow Graves, my hot track, though. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. I love those, yeah. the harmonics on that. Um, there's so much going on. And like you said, but John's still, with John's vocals over top of the music, it still makes it like just a catchy song. You yeah. Forget you almost forget how weird it is until you're like listening and really trying to you know yeah. hone in. And that's to me that's like the markings of like a great song. Where yeah. You can have both. You can have it both ways. It's it's like you said the math rocky and stuff. Yeah. But it's also just like a pop song. It's like a- and then Chris. I'm very curious to hear your. Well, uh, let me just first say address a couple of the other ones because, um, like, in the, it's it's cool that that in the light of things is getting some love because that you know that is that's one again we never played live and that was probably my fault because I was was afraid to like bring it down to that like mellow level, but I just remember when because that was one Rodney and John worked on together and they had like a you know like a guitar vocal version of it they played for us or for me or so I don't remember but in practice and that was one of those ones where like they played the whole thing through and it really blew me away I thought it was like such a cool song and then you know the band did it we did our own arrangement to it eventually but I just remember being like so kind of moved by that song the first time they played it for me um that was always one of my favorites 
Then I'll just say about Leia. Leia was like Rodney had voice where he stressed him out to play. When I got to the little breakdown outro bit and I had to play <laughs> a little muted guitar part by myself and we were always doing it like, you know, 30 BPMs faster than we normally do it. I was like, fuck, I have to try to make it through this thing. And like, I don't know. That was a strip. But I loved always playing that song. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I really have any others that I would pick out. I mean, I mean, building was always a favorite. I mean, that was that was one of the that one always was kind of a crowd favorite. We play that one. Um, With good reason. <laughs> it was nice and short, but that was also another one having to like play some of the parts on that. And when we do it faster, I was like, I couldn't even barely keep up. It was, you know, it was made to be played a little slower, and then we just kept speeding up and speeding it up. And it was like, oh my god, I, I can't. It went it. from a minute and a half to a minute. Yeah, I think I think initially it was like kind of a slower song, and then we said, "Screw this, let's do it faster." And then I, uh, I had I the, I had the slower version of it in my head for a good year or two, just thinking of like it was great the way we did it, but there, it'd be neat to do it like where you know, where you could hear all the you know everything wasn't so crammed in, and because it's got a lot of neat guitar things going like playing off each other and stuff, and you can hear it all, but sometimes i hear this like devo version of it in my head and yeah that was what it was it was like the verse was reminding initially it was sort of like a uh my bloody valentine thing and then the chorus was like a devo thing yeah we just cranked it up it's yeah. got so much energy like that was um if memory serves um that was the opening track on in flight program which was a lot of people's introduction to you know a lot of revelation bands um and that was the first sense that was the sense field song i heard first uh, on that's because of that cd and uh i was i mean that wasn't my hot track but uh for for this album obviously but that song blew me away just the energy and the melodies and the all this stuff going on i was and it's so short too i kind of like it's just like yeah we're done (laughs) and at 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 15 or 16 when i heard it like short songs was that was the key like if i saw the long running times a lot of times i would get a little discouraged and to see that was like a minute and a half i was like awesome well guys um oh chris you you didn't give a hot shot (laughs) i mean a couple Everybody chose the good songs. I mean, I don't know. It, um, I don't really, I don't know if I have anything really to add on some of these other ones. Fair enough. I'm good. Hey, I mean, it's a great album though, start to yeah. finish. I think that's the. Yeah, that's the the moral of the story is, it's it's hard to pick because to me there's no no skippers, um, and I guess I'll end with a question: Is how do you feel now? Because this is we're actually at a point where this is. We actually hit a, well, 25 is not an even number, but it's one of those landmark. This is 25 years old. 25 years on, when you listen to this record, how do you feel about it? Old. I still like it. Um, <laughs> I can't believe it's been 25. Although I can't. You, you get asked about this like one a lot. Time ago now. I don't get asked about any of our records ever, so I don't. <laughs> uh, but if I guess you don't see like, anybody in line at like the the supermarket, it's like, hey, we're in Sensefield. 
Yeah, just just yesterday that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I got recognized in Death Valley one time, just on the side of the road. That was the craziest thing. Kid just pulled over and he's like, "Hey, you're in Sensfield." I'm like, "Yeah," and then he was like with his family, and they just. But me and my dad were seriously in the middle of nowhere. It was just desert everywhere, and this kid comes out of nowhere, <laughs> recognized me. Your dad was probably stoked. I know. I would. I would be yeah, nice. but it was just. Yeah, that was neat. And I think me and Chris got recognized one time. We were at the Huntington Library and somebody spotted us. But yeah, it's pretty rare. Well, guys, again, thank you so much. Um, I can speak really only for myself, uh, but this, I was so excited to, to have this conversation as you know, a, a fan of Sensefield and, and this album. And, you know, if, if you'd like, I would love to talk to you at some point in the future about uh, the last two records, because I also have a lot of great memories uh, associated with those. And I think that people should listen to all the Sensefield stuff, because um, you guys were just a fantastic band and uh, you know, great group of people to talk to. So thanks so much. And, and, well, and, it's, and yeah, it's nice. You guys, after all this time, there's people like you guys that are actually, and there's other people that are still interested enough for there to be a podcast and us to talk about it. So it's pretty, you know, it's pretty inspiring. And, you know, so many bands just kind of get forgotten. It's nice that, you know, there's people out there that are still kind of interested in Sensefield. Oh, definitely. Like I said, this is, this is one that a lot of people have been asking me about and saying they're excited for. And, uh, well, Rodney, you're not really off the hook because we got liquid glass and like eight releases. So yeah. we'll be yeah. in touch with you in the new year. Yeah. Um, so I actually yeah. just recently procured a, uh, vinyl copy. I don't think it's on colored though. I have in my eBay watch list, a sealed Malaysian, cassette version of liquid glass I'm just <laughs> throwing that out oh, nice. there. file under things you didn't that know existed in the world sentence is the most javier sentence like, <laughs> ever a sealed wow. malaysian cassette whirlpool yeah. that's javier that's wow. amazing ladies yeah. and gentlemen <laughs> and jordan thanks for joining us too taking the time out of your day to talk sense yeah before. jordan so, um, everybody, thanks again for listening um, to episode 46 on Sensefield's building. There were, you know, we mentioned in the interview itself about the, the artwork. You know, Jason is our, our resident artist here. But, I mean, even myself, who's not, you know, an artist, think is so drawn to the, pun intended, I don't know, uh, the, the artwork in building. Um, especially, you know, the CD booklet, you get, like we said, a, a, a you know, a drawing for almost for each song. Um, and that was done by Gavin Oglesby, uh, who is famous for, you know, doing the Uniform Choice, Screaming for Change uh, album cover. Um, he did other work for Sensefield and he played in No for an Answer. Um, so what we have here, we, we weren't able to get Gavin onto the pod, but Jason and I are going to do a little recreation of his uh of jason's conversation with gavin jason will be playing the part of jason mazzola of the band yeah. count me out cloak dagger 
of the Where It Went podcast, and I will be playing the role of Gavin because my name is Greg and it starts with the same letter as Gavin. So we just figured, why not? So here's a little excerpt of, uh, well, no, this is the conversation between Jason and Gavin. So we hope you enjoy and we hope this uncovers a little bit more about the this monumental album known as Building. Kick it, Jay. Let's go. The first one was actually a question asked by one of our Patreon members, and that is, we were wondering what the writing on the cover was taken from. Was that lyrics or poetry? I wrote the stuff on the cover. I like the things in art that aren't necessarily explained. I wanted just a hint of that letter to barely exist in that. You only see it if you're looking for it. That's probably why I cringe when I see it. It's not real. It was meant to give a sense of what might be happening between two people. I think I was going through a breakup with my now wife, so it feels really close, even though I wanted it to be sort of vague. I don't remember most of what is there other than one or two lines. I think it would have looked cool, but I never really meant for it to be public the way it was, which was not very, but still too much for me. Gavin, Chris said that the concept of the art was something you came up with after listening to the record and that you were the one to name it building. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, Jason, thank you. Um, I, Gavin, I did request the name to be building. In the song, I took building to mean growing, but I like the idea that buildings are where we live and spend time together. It also seems to reference Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti, now that I think of it, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't actually own the record, but remembered wondering what the hell it all meant when I was in fourth grade and saw it on my friend's bedroom when, and saw it in my friend's bedroom. It seemed mysterious to me, and that always seemed to appeal to me. Gavin, what was it about that song, Building, that gave you the idea for the artwork? I'm glad you asked, Jason. The song Building wasn't necessarily the catalyst for what the art became, but more the title of the song. To me, Sensefield was and still is on another level as far as their musical sophistication than any other band at that time. I play guitar and I've been in bands, but I'm not really musical. I just wanted to understand what it was to me. Those guys kept coming up with so many great songs so easily. And I basically just hit my guitar with a rock to make sounds and it never really worked for me. I remember getting a rough mix of the album and the guitars on Sight Unseen were way too loud, but it sounded so cool. It was very inspiring to me. So much so that every time I listen to them, I think of sending Chris and Rodney fan letters. Gavin, what are some of the other paintings that were pulled from lyrics that you can remember? Oh, wow, Jason. You are really making me dig back here. Um, So each painting related to a song, but I would have to hear them and see the package at the same time to comment. All my CDs are in storage, which is in the attic, which is hot and dusty and not likely to be accessed any accessed anytime soon, unless I send my son up there with his hoodlum friends. Gavin, no problem. I can actually send you the photos that Javier took of the CD booklet. Let me send that right now. Oh, thank you. Emails, emails best. Thank you. I'm pulling it up now. 
Oh my so is your goodness. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. This is like transporting me back in time to 1996. Oh, wow, Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm taking Kevin, after now. after looking at these paintings, what's your favorite painting and layout? All right. Well, I, I you know, I, I, I'm a, I took a look and I got to say the girl in white um, was the first one that comes to mind. It's slightly flat compared to the rest as the technique evolved a bit. I do love the pole vaulter and the woman with the dog. The woman in the chair was one I always liked, but it feels like an outlier for some reason. I think the fact that she's fairly static is interesting in relation to the others. That was the reason she was on the cover. Assuming she's on the cover. She is. Um, I remember that being my thought at the time, at least. Actually, you know what? It's the woman with the pearls on the cover. Those two were the contenders for that spot. Gavin, where are these paintings now? Well, I think about 80 of the originals sold. I probably still have about 20. And Chris uh, Evanson has three of them. And Chris was nice enough to show us those paintings on the interview. What are some of your favorite memories of working on the art for this record and working with Sensefield the band? Oh, the best part of working with Sensefield was just being part of what I consider such a great record and a great band. I've worked with some pretty big bands. Bon Jovi, Britney Spears, Blondie, and that's just going through the bees. But with Sensefield, I always appreciated uh, it, and I was I was very lucky to be a part of it, for sure. Well, Gavin, thanks so much for your time and getting back to us on the artwork for building that we all know and love. One of the things that we do on the Where Went podcast is we ask our guests what their hot track is, and that could be your favorite song or one that you have a fond memory of. So what is your hot track for the LP Building by Sensefield? My uh, my favorite song on Building is Sight Unseen. To me, it's just the perfect combination of DC hardcore and melody. I love the guitars in that song. I've always said Sensefield is proof music careers have very little to do with talent. Considering the tours and opportunities they had, if they couldn't do it, there are absolutely no guarantees that you'll succeed. You know, I... I played on a record myself actually that was released on revelation that i know was mentioned um i was on the no for an answer you laugh ep uh revelation uh, number six i know you talked with casey jones on that one uh, early episode we did uh, since i have you here do you have a hot track for the no for an answer you laugh ep glad you asked uh with regard to no for an answer i like without a reason Depending on who's drumming, it's a completely different song to me. With Chris, that's Chris Bratton, who I know you guys had on episode um, 19, part two, Inside Out, correct? Um, and Chris was, correct. Also, Chris was also on um, the statue episode, which the, the number is escaping me, but um, I know he was on there as well. Um, that song just felt like a new start for the band with Chris. Uh, it seemed like we could have been more like Verbal Assault, and it was easy to play. With Casey, it's Casey Jones. Uh, he was on the record, and he 
also uh, was on episode six about the no, no for an answer. Um, it's way harder to play. And if I missed even one stroke on the strumming, we'd never recover in the fast part. There was just no time. This was the genesis for the, uh, and I'm quoting myself here, these songs are way faster than we remember, sure, that we did with Casey trying to catch his breath on the back. So fun times. And thank you so much for asking. Kick it, kick it, uh, kick it dot wave. Cannot kick it. <clears throat> All right, let's see. I have 18% left on my battery. Oh, shit. That's staying I think in. we can get it. That's I fucking staying in here. <laughs> Yo, so let me say this before we start. When we start, can I say that the last time that I saw Javier in person was at the um, Rev 25 show uh-huh. where Sensefield played and obliterated I think they I didn't stole watch that him. show. Damn. I, I think really I didn't good. go to that day. Did, oh, you know what? You might be right. It might Did have they been play on the same day? Child care. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, man. We're I, old. I think, that's that's yeah, a good. Maybe at the time, I just kind of also didn't feel like I needed to put the effort into seeing every single band. Because yeah. I didn't see Quicksand at that fest. And I was just like, eh, whatever. I don't see Quicksand. <laughs> like, I got to see Youth of Today. <laughs> With fucking Ken Olden and uh, and um, Richie Birkenhead played a couple songs. You know what I mean? I saw that shit. Yeah, that was cool. And I saw yeah. Into Another Run, maybe. I don't know. Literally, yeah. <laughs> the only bands I really remember seeing at Rev 25 were No For an Answer and Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits. Okay. Okay. So that was. I heard Sensefield. I heard Sensefield stole the show. Oh, dude, it was awesome. Yeah, a lot of people said that, like, because that was the first time they played it. I think in about ten years, Mm, and a lot of people said that they just uh, destroyed it. And I remember being really excited that they played because I thought maybe I'll have another. They'll do more. Sure. And they did it. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. Listen, Greg. I've been thinking a lot about it this week and you kept reiterating the fact that this was a really important record and it was a really important record to a lot of people and it was a really special record to you. And like part of me didn't believe that or part of me still doesn't believe that. Like I don't consider this an important record in any respect. This is just another Rev record. This is just another Sensefield record. But 
Then I put it into context of, I probably feel this way about the since by man record because I have a personal connection to that record and those people. And it mean it's important to me Whereas someone maybe like you or Jason is like, I don't give a fuck about this record. And so that just goes to show how subjective the personal connection to albums can be and how like, uh, what's you can't touch what's inside. You know what I mean? Like, I can't change for you. I can't change how you feel about a record. And I also can't relate to how you feel about a record. But as a, as a music critic and as a journalist, a budding journalist, and as a friend, I can't like, I also can't disrespect you and how you feel about that. You know, like if it was some fucking random jerk on the internet, I'd be like, Hey, whatever. I, it's just another record. Not necessarily about this record, but about any record. I got you. I got you. But, but I, I don't, I don't have the same connection to this record and I don't see it. And when it came out, I didn't care about it and it didn't mean it wasn't special to me. And I really just like, when it came out, I didn't listen to it. I didn't pick it up. I didn't grab it. I didn't care. Now with the hindsight and uh, the maturity, I can pick this record up and listen to it and be like, you know what? I might not ever listen to this record again, but here's what I appreciate about it. Here's what songs I do like about it. Here's the artwork right. that I do enjoy about it. So that's just some thoughts that I've been having about this record over the sure. past. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones where like when when uh, we posted on the Instagram before even just like it, and so many people like, oh my god, and because um, to me this is where I like Killed for Less, and I like the Buddha. Uh, you know, the one with the two EPs on it. But like, this is like the sense field that I listen to is building and then the last two. But again, it's all about where you come in. If somebody was loving Reason to Believe, which I think Reason to Believe are awesome. But if someone was really into Reason to Believe and then they got this new band, you know, they're going to be probably most attached to that early stuff. Right, and like Um, Killed for Less is like... I have high school memories attached to that record. So that's what so I... So you'd be more prone to, to put on Killed for Less than, than Building. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I know also, there's other people that agree. Also, I don't enjoy Reason to Believe at all. Really? Nope, not at all. Man. I just think, you know, the, 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 the songwriting and, and his, his voice, um, you know, it's just... But again, maybe if I put it on, in 2021 or 2022 and looked at it more critically and less like looked at it more as like part of a job and less like doing something for fun. You know, like sometimes you got to eat because you're, you're hungry. And then sometimes you got to eat because you like the food that you're being served. Right. There's like two totally different things. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious if you revisit. it just sucks. It's not on streaming or anything like that. I will say, I think I like John's voice better in Sensefield than in Reason to Believe. Is that a hot take? I mean, he, no, because I, I mean, I like, I'll, I think to me, Sensefield building is the best thing that, you know, those guys have been involved with. And I love, I love the Tonight and Forever 
and living outside. And I like the, I like the Whirlpool albums and I like Kill for Less and the Buddha and, and since or, um, reasonably, but yeah, building to me was like the apex. And maybe that's because that was the first one I heard. I, I don't know, but I do think that there's something to be said about them. And, you know, they recorded just with a, you know, local guy, Bill Cordell, um, they got a good sound, but I do think this is where something like mixing and mastering uh, makes a big difference. Because like I said, to me, this one doesn't sound like nineties, whereas like the killed for less to me sounds like, yeah, this is from the nineties and it's cool. Like just like how the, you know, the early promising records or um, you know, all that kind of stuff had that like nine, you can tell like this wasn't from 2021. Yeah. I like it. It's one of those records that kind of put me in a transition phase where we talked about before I was crazy into thug core, but also youth crew, you know, but then there were those records that snuck in and then kind of made me, I don't know. It was okay to listen to this and rock it. And I liked it. It was still hardcore related, but it was still indie rock enough to just open up my worldview to more of that. So this is a big one for me. But that comes even more on for me, like on Rev 51. It was like the real one. Uh, Texas is the reason that L. Oh, yeah, dude. Same here. Um, that, that really kind of opened the door. And I'll save all that because I, I heard that first before this, I think. Okay. I, um, I, I feel like the next maybe eight episodes for me are going to be rough. No, really? Yeah, this isn't. This is not a t- a time in my life that I paid attention or enjoyed the albums that were coming out. Oh man, I'm really gonna have to sit down and listen to these records with a different ear than when I was 19. You know? Yeah. And, and but and and I I I don't think that listening to them now is gonna make me. I don't necessarily want to say enjoy them more, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to this. This is where this becomes a job for me. This is, this is like, there were so many records like Into Another and uh, Bold and stuff where I'm like, yeah, I fucking love this record. and I'm, yeah. Let's talk about it. The next few records, I didn't like them when they were coming out. And I probably haven't listened to some of them since. Damn. Mm-hmm. Well, keep in mind, Into Another's next. Isn't Into Another next? So. Yep. But after that... <laughs> After that, it gets a little rocky for me here and there. And we have, yeah, what is it? I think, well, we'll, we'll look. But, um, yeah, I guess for me, see, this was when I was in real time. Mm-hmm. So, again, different experience. I wasn't, you know, this was the rev I knew. And the in-flight, you know, was a big part of that, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what's, what else is on the horizon. But I just know Texas – you know, we talked from day one that and the yeah. GBLP, they're my two number one, like tied for number one. Uh, but Texas. do you think that living in California and Sensefield being more local just kind of made them seem not as, I don't know. Um, no, I think it was where I was at. With what uh, you because, liked at the time? Yes, because okay. all my friends loved Sensefield. Yeah. You know, and, and all, all the other bands that you're talking about. I mean, if people rate. don't know Texas, the reason all that stuff and proclivities by now, then they really just haven't. This might be but, the yeah. first episode they listen to. 
Yeah. Like you were yeah, into I mean, like the dark. So this heavy. is 90, 96, yeah. right? Yeah. 90, 95, 96. It was like earth crisis, snap case, overcast, you know, life yeah. sentence records and, uh, and Edison and like that kind of stuff. Coalesce, bloodlet. That's where I was at. Now, and, and correct I, me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you felt this also with what you were listening to at the time, but I kind of felt like you had to stay. If you were in that lane, you weren't really open to anything else at the time. Well, because I, I was also Bra- doing the I liked, same. I liked Braid and Get Up Kids. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but Get I, Up Kids, I think, had that like for some reason they got a pass because they, they were, had more like, of maybe a the coalesce. Red. The coalesce connection and stuff. Yeah. I don't know what it was, uh, but I think like I've said before too, uh, some of this, this music wasn't extreme enough for me. Like cap and jazz is extreme in a, in certain aspects. Right. Yeah. Braid, no, I understand. Like, the, and, and maybe a little in my mind, more artsy and less polished. So that could be what it, what it was. Like cap and jazz isn't, wasn't going to be on the radio. Right. A song yeah. like Le- Leia from this Sensefield record could have probably been on like alternative rock yeah, radio. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Or like 120 minutes or something yeah. like that. Right. And I, 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 I wanted to get away from that stuff. I, I don't think that at this time I had a television. Like we had a VCR. We didn't have cable. So I really wasn't paying attention to that. Like, and, I, and on purpose, I wanted to get away from the mainstream. You know, I wanted to... television? Yeah, I wanted to kill my television. Um, but then, like I've said before, like, you know, I guess I liked, I liked Rage Against the Machine and Rollins Band and Jane's Addiction and Primus, but there, I think because that already existed in that realm and all those bands that I just said, those bands were fucking weird. Primus was fucking weird, dude. Jane's Addiction was fucking weird. So that could be it where like... If you, ha- if you ask yourself, are you normal? You know, like, uh, that's the kind of stuff I, I, I wasn't into. Fair. But sense feels weird. I mean, they, all that guitar shit that goes on, it's sick. They have a lot of cool guitar stuff in their songs, especially on this yeah. record. And, and it could just be, you, everybody's guilty of this. When you see the people who are into certain bands you're like, oh, if these guys are into that band or these people, these girls and these guys, eh, maybe it's not for me. Um, I mean, I'm not like that, but I know most people are. Uh-huh. So uh, I, I acknowledge that. At I'm one that, time in my uh, life. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're like an 18-year-old gatekeeper. Yes. You know, when, when things are, are new and you're like, fuck are you doing in my scene, bro? Yeah. Like, get out well, of here like, with your fucking like, push mosh. Like that Lollapalooza song. The Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, that Kevin from Farside. Kevin Murphy about. had like, it right. I, I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a that's a common thing. Like, there's a uh, a song lyric by a little band <laughs> from Canada called Sloan. Oh, where they actually have Greg. a line that says, <laughs> "Jason." They have a line that says, "It's not the band I hate; it's the fans." Mm. But like, that's like a thing. Like, there's a uh, lot of you know, that's a common thing. There's a little yeah. Band I called. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, like, Oasis. The fans are fucking whatever. Mad horrible. for it. Yeah, they're mad for it, mate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm taking a piss right now. Jason, what were you going to say? <laughs> I don't know. I don't actually think mine was going to apply. I was going to quote Hot Water Music. I hate this place. I love these chords, but I don't think that really applies to 
to their fan well, base. I'll, I'll quote the great every time I die. Fuck these people. Fuck this place. Uh, Fair enough. It's my contribution. Anyway. But uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. You it's know, a field building. I, it's, it just wasn't my but jam. I appreciate, the, I appreciate that you went back and listened and you were at least able to find redeemable qualities and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, you know, it's the kind of thing with not everything, not everything's for everyone. Like, right. But I, I guess as a person who tries to at least think that I understand music, like I can't write a song from beginning to end. Like I wish I could be one of those people that can like pick up a guitar and just like write a whole song and melodies and all this stuff. I can't, I can write vocal melodies and lyrics and things like that. But like, I try to appreciate, like I use an example, like, like Led Zeppelin, like I'm not a huge Led Zeppelin fan, but I think that they were a great band. Like, I think that, um, you know, like for that kind of music, you're not going to get a better drummer. You know, you're not going to get a better bass player. Like the rhythm section is like unfuckwithable. Um, and, you know, great singer, great guitar player, but like not really my jam. Like I never really took a deep dive. Sure. Um, and that's kind of how I try to see a lot of music. There's some stuff that, like I said, it, I just don't like. Like, I'm not going to, like, I don't like, you know, Dave Matthews band. I don't really like, I don't like Pink Floyd. I don't like stuff like that. Like, it's funny they mentioned Pink Floyd in the interview. Like, I, I've i tried. I can't get into it. You don't it. fuck with Pink Floyd? No. I don't fuck with Pink Floyd. But oh, it's the same shit. thing. I, I, I appreciate it, but I'm not going to put on a fucking I appreciate it because, you know, Balaram, Balaram and I were talking about how, like, a lot of the shoegaze and weird stuff, stuff took you know guitar notes from pink floyd it's just yeah not not for me, not for me. you know why Shugazy. because you don't do drugs <laughs> yeah although i would i would like to watch the wizard of oz while uh playing Sync it up side of the moon yeah, i had actually had a, a thanksgiving a thanksgiving dinner conversation about that with a family member who did it really work has, has yep when the lion Doesn't roars, it say something press, like close the door and like when you when you when the lion roars, you press play on the CD. And it, he said <laughs> he said that everything matches up like spookily. It like it's it's real close. Oh, wild! Yeah, might have might have to try it. Yeah, Jason, just you look like- microdose microdose on some mushrooms and see where the day takes you. <laughs> it's Sabic, right? Yeah, Jason, you look like you have something in your mind. Oh, I was just going to say, talking about Sensefield, I thought it was cool that Chris cited Subhumans as one of the riffs he took. And on the Killed for Less episode, he showed us that his teen idol seven inch that he got from Chuck Dukowski with the black flag uh-huh. bars on it. Oh, that I, think was it's awesome. just, yeah. I know it's weird, but I just don't ever think of, I thought of Sensefield as just kind of like a larger than life band at the time when they, when they came out and not that they had those punkish punk, punk, yeah, roots. Real punk roots. Yeah. So I appreciate that from talking to Chris. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they were, those guys are always cool to talk to. And, you know, when it's yeah. a band that you really like and they're cool to talk to, it's always a plus. All right, guys. Well, uh, what do we got on the next episode, Jason? Revelation 47. The text is the reason seven inch. Is there, there's not a title for the seven inch. Is there Greg? Nah. It's the, it's the text is the reason seven inch, but I saw that a lot of people refer to it as, the song that one up covered they do no i just thought okay. it was just the self-titled okay that was just an online i'm thing. not i'm not typing that out for the episode <laughs> 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 to be free 
Yeah, Texas is the reason. Yeah, well, so I guess cool. is now is now an okay time. I mean, we are going to like Javier mentioned. Um, we've been trying to stay on track. If you've noticed, there haven't really been detours. We had a week off for the holiday that we you know took care of patrons for, and um, but we have the Texas is the reason. Then we have, I believe, into another seamless. Then uh, Iceburn, Meditative Evolutions, and then. The last episode of 2021 will be the in-flight program. And then uh, we decided that that's going to be our first season. Season one. So that'll be the, that's the a big end of season. season one, episode mm-hmm. 50. Um, and then we will, you know, patrons again, you'll have some content in January, but we won't be back then until um, February. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know the exact date. We'll, we'll determine that, but sometime in early mid February. Um, is there no. anything else? Anything goes. anyone wants to add? Let's see where it goes. Yeah, where let's it see went. where it goes. Yeah. So that's it. And so just said. so you will have content for the rest of this year. You you know yep. every week you're going to get a new rev release. That's a to bonus. Pontificate on some bonus shit. And then, and then like I said, uh, January. And we'll see what we'll happens. Have, Love Patreon content, but yep. taking a little winter break. Yeah. All right. Well, well, hey, we'll see you on the next episode, and then we'll uh, we'll see you where it goes. Gotcha. All right. What was that? What's up, everybody? This is Javier. Just wanted to give a special bit up bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Dustin Perry, Greg Jackson, JPD2, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Listen. If you'd like more information about how to help us out every month, please go to www.wherewentpodcast.com. There's all kinds of information there and cool shit. So otherwise, we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye.